welcome to Northeast Christian Church's online service. We're so excited to have you with us. Make sure to subscribe to NECC on all social media platforms. And to listen to our messages, follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you and enjoy the service. I am so delighted to be here. It's been quite a while. Place looks a little different since the last time I was here. It's probably um, many, many years ago. But uh, I represent a community of churches, about 190 churches that you're a part of, and a community of leaders, about 550 leaders that your team is a part of. And I want to say my, my work, I have a one-line job description, stewarding the call of God on men and women's life in southern New England. And uh, that's what I get to do every day. And I'm grateful to do it in this movement. And I get to work with people like your pastor, you know, Pastor Paul, Diana. And trust me, I, this is what I do. So um, for me to say what I'm about to say, you need to, you need to weigh that heavily. Uh, he is one of the very best. And uh, you are blessed to have him to lead this church. And so I'm, I'm grateful for him. Grateful. There are people that when you spend time with them, uh, sometimes out when you're done, you're depleted. <laughs> there are other people that when you spend time with them, uh, you are enriched. When I spend time with your pastor, not only am I enriched, my view of Jesus is expanded and I'm better. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful. And it's good to meet Andrew. Let me tell you about your dad, Andrew. Um, he challenges me. He sets a model for me. He encourages me. Sometimes he makes me laugh, but he's a good man. And uh, you, can, you, can, you can hang out with him. He's, he's all right. So <laughs> it's, good to, it's good to meet you as well. Well, um, thank you for your faithfulness as a, as a church. And and again, if you're a guest today, uh, so glad you're here. I know, and, and again, this rock star staff with Dylan and, and Sam and, and Thomas and, you know, the whole team here. Uh, if I didn't have things to do on Sunday, I'd be here. So uh, maybe I can figure that out more often. But uh, so thank you. Thank you for serving. I, uh, there was a, a significant moment that, that I... Uh, have been wrestling with for about five years from now, and it's constantly changing. One of the joys about uh, these moments for me is I, uh, depending on the setting, a lot of times I, I have an assignment when I show up. We're either dedicating a building, we're doing an anniversary, we're installing a pastor, we're removing a pastor, we're doing a funeral. So kind of the subject set. But when I can just come and, and, and your pastor says, well, just share what you want. Just make sure it's good. <laughs> I thought, well, you know, there's, there's this thing that I've been wrestling with for years, and so I like to talk about it, and, and, and it really happened at a significant moment. I lived in south, uh, the south end of Boston. There's a difference between South Boston and South End. And I was walking on the sidewalk, and there was a, there was some, a child had taken a piece of chalk, a big fat piece of chalk, and wrote, wrote across the, a line that said, start. And then as I walked down the sidewalk, I should have asked, is there a parameter I need to stay because I wander all over it? I need to stay between the tissue boxes or, you're okay? All right, good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I don't want to trip over this. 
And then there was another line, and there was, um, maybe the next question, what time do you want me to be done? I'm, I'm good on time. <laughs> 11.30 good? Is that too long? 11.15? That'd be tough. 11.45, okay, good. I'm good with time. Everybody can look back and see, I've got, all right, we're, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> So here's this other line that said finish. It was misspelled. But I stood by that line and I was struck by something. Why did that child choose to draw that line on the sidewalk right there? Why not down there? Why not back there? I don't. And then I thought this other thought. When I look through the scriptures, much of the New Testament uses this terminology of the race. But the race that you and I run. Those of you that are Christ followers, and again, as I said earlier, if you're a guest today, uh, welcome. Maybe somebody just invited you, promised to take you out to lunch. If you'd come this morning, glad you're here. All right. Uh, But hopefully you can hear a bit about Jesus and consider what it means to follow him. But those of you who have made a decision, maybe you've been following for a little while or a few years or, or decades and decades, The race that we run, there's an interesting element to it. You don't know where the finish line is. God holds this big piece of chalk and he draws it wherever he wants to. And to be honest with you, I am not always happy where God chooses to draw the finish line. My father was killed when I was young. I don't understand that. Why did God choose to draw the finish line there? If we took time, many of you could say, why? Why did my spouse, or why did my child, or why did my grandparent, why at that spot? Several weeks ago, I performed a funeral. One of our pastors who, who died relatively suddenly. Why? There was so much in front. But that's not our choice to decide. That's not even our question to answer. God will draw the line wherever God chooses. The question for you and I, and the question that I wrestle with, is what am I going to do today? Because I don't know about tomorrow. I really don't. And there's a verse that, um, I came across this verse when I was working on a college campus. I was single, uh, working on a college in Michigan, and I came across this verse, and it grabbed a hold of my life so much so that this verse has been, I call it my tattoo verse. I don't have a tattoo. And I'm not opposed to tattoos. But if I did have a tattoo, one of the times that I do this message, I'm just going to bring somebody on to give me a tattoo. <laughs> like, really, it's your tattoo verse? Then come on. So it's Acts 13.36. When David had completed God's purpose in his generation, then he fell asleep and was buried which is an interesting wording in the NIV. It sounds like an old man took a nap and then they buried him. But it means David had completed God's purpose in his generation and he died. And the moment that I read that, my life took this kind of laser focus on I don't want to use up oxygen and then die. I want my life to matter. And as Christ followers, we got this piece, and we saw a great story here uh, of someone that wanted their life to matter. Once they met Jesus, it became different. And honestly, if I die tomorrow, if I die 10 years from now, Pastor Paul uh, does my funeral. Remember what I'm about to say, because you need to call him into account for it. Here's what I want him to say, all right? Just in case you take the challenge. (laughs) 
Nick Vitato has completed God's purpose in his generation. So he's dead. Have a nice day. <laughs> That's it. Now, I hope he says a couple other nice things, but if he doesn't, I'm okay with that. I am okay with that. I'm absolutely okay with that. So then about three years ago, I begin to think about, well, let me just reverse engineer David's life and see what were some of the things that David did in his life so that at the end of his life, it could, say, it could be said he completed God's purpose in his generation. And over these last several years, I, 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 and I've shared this message in so many different ways, and, and it's, it's, it takes a different, uh, depending on where I'm at, it takes a different angle. But I begin to look at, well, what about David? And, and let me be clear, knowing that uh, my esteemed scholars and, and professors uh, are here, I know that the Bible says a lot about David. There are books, there are chapters, there's massive amounts of text about David's life. I'm not going to cover it all. I'm going to go across the top and just look at three or four things that seem to be consistent things in his life. Because if I want to get at the end of my life and Pastor Paul can preach my sermon and say that I completed God's purpose, then there's going to have to be things in my life to accomplish that. And... Uh, Recently, I was talking with somebody, and I was, I was uh, reviewing a, a stack of journals, and every year I have a set of goals for that year. Since my 20s, I've kept these journals. And on the top of those goals, it says, what is God's purpose for you, Nick, in this generation? So what I'm sharing with you today, I've been working on for about 30 years. You think, well, why don't you figured it out yet? <laughs> but, uh, but it's something that, that I've wrestled with. And so I wanted to share some of these thoughts with you. First, I observe in David's life that he lived, and, and some would call it the disciplined life. Um, discipline for most of us causes us to kind of, um, we're going to be disciplined, we're going to be in trouble. So I'll call it the practiced life. David would get up in the morning while he's taking care of the sheep, and he'd grab a few rocks and he'd grab his sling and he'd head out and he'd make sure the sheep are okay. And then he would line up, this is just my guess, he would line up a set of clay pots on a, on a fence post and, and he'd walk away and he'd grab his sling and he'd grab it and he'd swing it around and he'd miss. Swing it around and he'd miss. He'd swing it around and he'd hit one. He'd think about, what did I do different then? Then he'd swing it around and he'd miss. Then he'd hit. And then he'd get up and he'd, the next day and he'd hit. And then the next day and day after day after day after day, he practiced he lived a practiced life. And then when the lion came, the Bible records, he did what he always did. He grabbed a sling and he killed it because he had practiced. And when a bear came and challenged his sheep, he did what he always did because he practiced. He lived this practiced life so that when the challenges came, he knew what to do. And then when a giant came, he did what he always did with the clay pots, with the lion, with the bear, and now the giant. He just did what he always did. One of my favorite missionaries of all time, he said to me one day, he said, you need to live ready, Nick, because if you have to get ready, you're going to miss an opportunity. And that was one way for me to think about how important the practice life was. We don't always have time to get ready. 
Now, if I were to say, take out a piece of paper, let's make a list of all the practices that a Christian should have in their life. My guess is our list would be a little bit different. But if we combined all the lists, we probably would have some agreement. We would probably agree that you need to read the Bible. I grew up in church, Sunday school. I sang the song, read the Bible and pray every day if you follow me. You need to read the Bible. You need to know the Scriptures. You need to know the narratives of the Old Testament, the prophetic words of the Old Testament, the wisdom language of the Old Testament, the gospel stories and each of the gospels in their angle of the story of Jesus and the book of Acts and the, the letters. And you need to know and live and be people of the word of Zohar. So we would say, yeah, you need to, you need to have this practice of, of knowing and reading and loving the scriptures. And that can be different for all of us. And it kind of ebbs and flows. So we probably would say on that list, you need to pray. Since God is a supernatural, invisible God, we need to interact with Him. We have to have this, this discipline, this practice of prayer. And it's very different. There's intercession. There's commanding prayers. Come out in Jesus' name. There's, there's weeping. There's, there's the celebratory prayers. There's joyful prayers. There's prayer just is a breath. I, I like to say that prayer is like breathing. I don't, I don't, as long as I've been standing here speaking to you, I didn't think, oh, it's time for me to take another breath. Uh-oh. I can take another breath, or I'm not going to be able to keep talking. Prayer is like that. It needs to be so a part of how I live and breathe and how I move. And then you might say, well, there's, you know, I need to have the practice of gathering with the people of God. I need to have the discipline of relationship. You might, you might say Sabbath, and which, you know, is one of the big ten, so it is really important. Uh, Sabbath is important. Silence, solitude, uh, these ideas of just regular cadences in our life. David lived the practice life. You know, I, when I was young, all I wanted to do was play football. And I showed up at my first football practice and uh, ready to play football because I'd been looking forward to it since I was a little boy. And I remember coming out on the field and the coach says, okay, welcome to football. Run two laps. And I thought, I didn't come here to run two laps. <laughs> I came here to play football. But if I need to run two laps to play football, I go, so I ran two laps, and I said, okay, let's play football. He said, all right, now you need to do push-ups. And I said, I didn't come here to do push-ups. I came here to play football. And then we had to hit this plastic thing, and I said, I don't want to hit a plastic thing. I want to hit people. <laughs> football is like controlled violence, so I don't have to go to jail. This is what I want to do. <laughs> so weeks of this practice went on so that when an actual game happened, I could play. I knew what to do because of the practice life. You know, I was reading a great book recently. It was one of the last books by Dallas Willard, and he said, you know, you overestimate what you can accomplish by trying and you underestimate what you can accomplish by training. Trying, we'll say, we, we like to think trying is a noble task. If I were to ask us, is anybody here that's never played piano? Some of you might raise your hand. I would say, would you like to try to play for us right now so we can sing a worship song together? <laughs> 
it probably wouldn't go so well. Or we could say, okay, for the next year, once a week, take a half hour and take a piano lesson and train. And then come back on that Sunday and we would be amazed what that person would have accomplished because of training. The scriptures call us to be trained in godliness. Trying, some of you, maybe not in this church, it's probably a different church. Probably a different church. There's a great pastor and he would have people come up forward at a time of transformation and repentance. So you need to stop some behaviors and do some new behavior. And you come and you cry. He said, I'm going to try to be a better person. I'm going to try to stop doing that. I'm going to try because we overestimate what we can accomplish through trying. But we underestimate, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change. And beginning this week, I'm going to be a part of a, a small group to be going into the scriptures and begin to wrestle with some of the things that are set up in my life that have caused this behavior to happen. And I'm going to meet, you know, and I'm going to begin to build some things in my life. If I were to say, all right, everybody, at the end of this service, we're going to run a marathon. Let's go. Let's try it. No matter how much hype I could hype you into it. <laughs> It wouldn't go so well. <laughs> but if I could say for the next year, every day, first we're just going to walk 50 yards. <laughs> then we'll walk 100 yards. Then we'll jog for one minute. Then we'll walk for five minutes. Then we'll, over the next year, probably many of you could run a marathon. Train yourself in godliness. Pick up the sling with the rock. So, so David lived the practice life. Second thing I think about David's life is that he had a, what I call a right-sized view of God. So the next most famous scene of David, he comes up against this giant Goliath, and, and many of you are familiar with the story, even if you haven't read it in the text, but you're familiar with the story. But there's this one moment where David, you know, he's left, he's brought some food to his brothers, there's this giant, this giant's intimidating the army of God. Every day he just says, come on, you know, and trash talks him and and, uh, and then David goes up and he says this really odd thing. And, and because um, we don't have voice inflection in Scripture, we're not sure. Here's what he says. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who would dare come against the army of God? Now, I don't know if he was saying that inquisitively, like, hey, who is this guy? Who would, who would, who, what's his name? Or if he was indignant, who is this uncircumcised Philistine, who would have the audacity to come? I think it was more like that. And the reason I think that is the reason David could get to the end of his life and it be said that he completed God's purpose, because he lived the practice life, but he also had a view of God that was bigger than every giant he faced. David just looked over the shoulder of a giant and saw a big God. And I'm telling you, I, you know, early on in my... Uh, in my work as a district superintendent. I was called into a church that was in, in a very difficult situation. And uh, if I messed it up, the church was probably going to close and people were going to go to jail. And I'm driving. And I'm thinking to myself, I am way over my head. And, uh, and as I'm driving along, I think, there's no way I can do this. But because of my role, 
because my friends thought I could do it, <laughs> I'm the only one that can do it. And then my second thought was, and God knows that, that I'm the one that needs to do this, and that I'm way over my head, that I don't think I'm capable of doing it. And then my third thought was a prayer, and it was this, God, I am so sorry that I am all you have in this situation. <laughs> but it's true. But in that moment, I knew that my God was bigger than that giant. And you need to know that your God is bigger than a diagnosis. Your God is bigger than a financial challenge. Your God is bigger than a, than a relationship that's broken that doesn't feel like it can ever. Your God must be bigger because everything we face is temporary. Everything. If you, if you become a Christ follower, you begin an eternal life. That means everything is temporary. You are part of the kingdom of God, which is eternal. So that means everything I face is temporary. And you can put up with a lot when it's temporary because your God is big enough to say you're an eternal being. One of the moments I mentioned Dallas Willard, he was like just days away from his death. He was a philosopher and, and educator and great writer. And he's talking to a friend. He had pancreatic cancer. And he looked over and he looked at his friend. He said, you know, I think... Um, I think when I die, I'm not even going to notice for a while. Why would he say that? Because he's in the because the kingdom of God is a continuum. And at some point, your body stops working. I used to think, I grew up in church, I thought eternal life started when you died. But eternal life begins when you live, give your life to Christ, and then at some point, your body drops off. It's a continuum. That's how big our God is. And that's why whatever we face is temporary. <laughs> Third thing. David cared for the soul. Now, if we were to say, take another piece of paper out and write the definition of a soul, we would all have different, different answers. Philosophers, theologians, psychologists have all grappled with this inner life, this, this, this thing that goes on inside. And I don't know that I can quantify it indefinitely in this moment. I don't think that I can. But I do know it's that part of you that you know that nobody else knows. It's that inner part of you that right now, if you had an LED readout on your forehead and I could see what every one of you were thinking, you would go cover your head, right? Because <laughs> some of you are thinking, all right, come on. Uh, I need to go to lunch. Let's move along. Or whatever, whatever you may be thinking. But, but there's this... There's this this invisible, and David nurtured from his youngest age when Saul was out of his mind, David would come and the Spirit of God would come on him and he would bring calm. We have the Psalms, and I love the book of Psalms. I have a discipline of reading a regular amount of Psalms every day uh, because I would not naturally pray the prayers that David writes in the Psalms. I wouldn't. I grew up in church, been in church my whole life. Uh, my mom, who was just a, a sparrow of a woman, was tough. And if I prayed the kind of prayers David prayed, she would have just probably hit me. David says things like, God, why to the wicked prevail and the righteous suffer? What's the matter with you, God? I did, that doesn't come out of me naturally. I'm God is great, God is good, and it's all good. And thank you, God. Not messing with you. That's how I was taught to pray. 
But when I read the depth of those prayers, they unburden my soul and they, they put strength in who I am. And so we need to, we need to nurture these, these, these elements of our life that nobody sees. I'll just give you one illustration. I did, I did a sabbatical a couple years ago. I'd never done a sabbatical before, and I had to kind of reset my mind. I was about to turn 60. And I did a sailboat racing course every day on the Boston Harbor. And the first day we, we head out, and we're in these, these long racing boats, and the wind is just whipping on the Boston Harbor. And the boat, you've seen sailboats, the boat is tipping, tipping, tipping. We're all up on the edge, the four of us in the boat. And I am absolutely sure this boat is going to flip, and I'm going to be tossed into the Boston Harbor and probably die. <laughs> but the instructor looks at me, and he sees some look on my face. I'm not sure what that look was, <laughs> but you could guess. And he said, Nick, relax. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he said, I've raced these boats for 35 years. I've never seen one flip over, ever. And he said, the reason is there's a 2,000-pound keel or a fin underneath the boat that you can't see. And that wind is going to push that sail and push that sail, and eventually the wind's going to wash off and that sail's going to bounce up. As I sat on that boat that day, I thought of my own life, and I've thought about it dozens and dozens and dozens of times since then on this idea. The storm's coming. That is not in question. Some of you just came through a storm. Some of you are in a storm right now. And some of you will face a storm. And that's not a prophetic word. That's because you have breath in your lungs and you're on a fallen planet Earth. The question is not, is the storm coming? The question is, how much weight do you have in the keel? Paul put it a different way, didn't he? I'm cornered, but there's a way out. I'm beat, but I'm still going to live. The storm's coming, but we need to put weight in the keel. David David lived the life where he put weight in the keel. And then when he got to the end of his life, it could be said he completed God's purpose in his generation. Fourth thing, David, um, he had a value of deep friendships. Many of you can read the story of Jonathan, but they, they would have died for each other. They fought for each other. They cared for each other. I would say that friends in your walk with God are key. Now, part of my job is I interview ministers. I've interviewed hundreds of people who have come to our office and said, I want to be a minister. And oftentimes in that interview, I'll get to the place and say, okay, I want to know what you're going to do when you're overwhelmed, depressed, ready to quit, and you think you made a wrong career choice. Because that moment is going to come quite regularly, most Mondays, actually. <laughs> so don't worry that, that that point's going to come. It's what are you going to do when you get there? And they'll say things like, well, I'm going to speak in tongues all day long. I said, well, that's good. I'm, I'm, I'm in that camp. <laughs> I'm good at that. I'm going to quote the, the scriptures at the devil. So that's good, too. He knows them, but it's good to remind him. And eventually I'll... You know, they'll, I'll say, let me tell you what I do. I have friends. I have friends like Paul Conway who know me, 
that even at a difficult point, they know the bigger picture of who I am. And they can speak into my life, and they can encourage me. That I don't walk alone. And I think that as Christ followers, there has to be these relationships. It's why we gather on a Sunday. It's why we have a significant value of small groups. It's why we are in a community of the cross, because we want to walk alone. Never to walk alone. We never want to walk alone. And I think it's critical that we have the level of friendships. Because if you look at my life, if I were to draw you a, a, a timeline of my life and you said, tell me about your life, I would say there were critical moments in my life and every time there was a friend who spoke into my life. I would even be crazy enough to say on, on real strategic moments in your life, oftentimes friends will speak into your life even more than the scriptures. Now, I don't mean to be here. It still needs to be confirmed with the scriptures and affirmed in the spirit. But it's friends that have looked at me and said, Nick, this is what you need to do. I know you. I know God. And this is what you need to do. And they've changed the trajectory of my life. I don't have time to tell you about all those points, but I, I could tell you. So we need to make sure we are intentional about a small group of people who know us. Here's my definition of friendship. Those who rejoice when you rejoice and weep when you weep. And if they know you, they'll celebrate when you celebrate, and they'll weep when you weep. But there's critical moments when a friend helps. Uh, you know, one of the great moments in the United States history is when Dr. Martin Luther King gave his I Have a Dream speech. And he comes before the hundreds of thousands of people, and he has a plat the podium, and he's there with the podium. He starts his sermon, and if you watch it, it's really not going anywhere. There was a woman who spoke just before him named Michaela Jackson, and Michaela Jackson is a gospel singer. She would sing before Martin Luther King would, would present quite often. And she sang, he got up to speak, and she was in the row behind him. And at some point in his message, she yells at him. Martin, tell him the dream. And if you watch the three, he takes his notes and he pushes them aside. And he looks at the crowd, and he says, I have a dream. Now, if someone in the 10th row would have said, hey, Martin, that's a boring talk. Can you tell us something more interesting? He probably said, you don't know what you're talking about. But that voice was a friend, and that friend changed the trajectory of America by changing the course of that speech that was not planned. We need people in our life that can look and say, you can do this. You know, you can do one of two things with people. You can either encourage them or discourage them. You know what encourage means? Put courage in your life. They come and say, you know, I feel like I heard Pastor Paul say this. I think I can do this. You know how you discourage them? Say, no, you can't. Everything you tried failed. You'll do it. You'll be awful. Don't do it. You just turn your head and walk away. Or you could put encourage into their life and say, I think you can do that. I've seen what God is saving. You have a choice on how you deal with people that are near to you. Encourage, inspire. Let me close with this. David, <laughs> those of you that have read the scriptures and know a bit about David, he was a scoundrel. <laughs> he made a lot of mistakes. He did a lot of terrible things. Probably one of the most popular that you're familiar with. He's supposed to be off to war, and he's wrestling with his own identity. People say, why was David at home when the whole army was off. I think he was getting older. He wasn't the superstar hero anymore. He was wrestling with who he was, and so he's kind of holding back. I don't know. But anyway, he's not where, the, where his army was. He's watched this woman take a bath. He has an adulterous relationship. She gets pregnant, and he orchestrates the murder of her husband. That's a lot of evil all wrapped together in one moment, and he gets away with it because he's the king, right? 
And then Nathan comes up to him and tells him a little story about sheep and about people who have power that take advantage of people who don't. And David is in, enraged, and then Nathan takes his finger and puts it in David's chest. He says, I'm just talking about you, and David is crushed. And he begins to weep, and he repents. And I close with this. The difference between David and, and you and I is that we have the cross. We sang about it because of the cross. We have a God who came near so that we could have life. One of the beauties about the scripture is there's a prayer that David prayed after Nathan put his finger in David's chest. So you can know how he prayed. Listen to this and I'll, I'll close. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. Psalm 51. Blot out my transgression. Can you hear the, the intensity in his voice? He has failed God. You know, Character is not measured by whether you do wrong. Character is measured, do you do right after you've done wrong? We all do wrong. David was quick to repent. Wash away my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Listen to this prayer. You know my transgression. My sin is always before you. And then he says this, listen, listen. cleanse me and I'll be clean. That's a desperate prayer. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. And he says, beautiful line, create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit. But listen to this one sentence. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Why was that so intense? Because he watched Saul when the Spirit of God was on him, and then he watched Saul when the Spirit of God was off him and led to his destruction. And he makes this prayer. He says, oh God, don't take your spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. So if you want to get to the end of your life and it be said about you that you completed God's purpose in your generation, live the practice life. Practice. So when the moment comes, you're ready. Because if you wait to get ready, you're going to miss it. Make sure that your God is bigger than every giant that you face. Be careful to put weight in the keel because the storm is coming and I need to have those quiet moments where God is doing something deep in me. A healthy soul will always endure a tumultuous, broken world. A sick soul will be destroyed by a tumultuous, broken world. Have friends that know you and walk with you, and then run to the cross. Difference between David and us? We come to a God who's, who's given his life so that we could have life to the full. You know, I grew up in church. This might be some of your story, maybe not all of you, but I grew up in church. I have no knowledge of not knowing God. People say, when did you get saved? I say, I don't know. I prayed a sinner's prayer every week just to stay safe. But I've always known God. <laughs> so when it's time for communion it's my favorite time because I love the broken blood that brings forgiveness and I love the broken bread that reminds me that I can be whole and when I drink that cup and eat that bread I am grateful that God has restored and refreshed and reminded me of that 
If you want to get to the end of your life and it be said about you that you completed God's purpose in your generation, then you'll just have to run to the cross and run to the cross and run to the cross and run to the cross. Let me pray for you, God. Thank you for these men and women. Thank you for this great church. Thank you for this great leadership team. We're grateful. And we look at how you're going to continue to bring your, your love and your care to this community that will extend around the world. And Father, I know that all four of these or five of whichever, how many I had, uh, things, uh, maybe there's just one that we walk out with today. You know what? I need, I need to restore a friendship. You know, I need to get those, I need to just take some more time in the scriptures daily. You know, I, I just need to be still and let God nurture my, you know, I just need to repent because I came in here broken. I just need to repent and run to the cross. Father, that we would not take what's been given and walk away, but that we would respond as your spirit prompts. I thank you. I pray your richest blessing on this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Bless you. Let's stand together.
worship you, I worship you. You are here, you're healing every heart. I worship you.
Take not your Holy Spirit from us and restore to us the joy of your salvation. And may we uphold it with a willing spirit. Then we will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Lord, I pray that we would be filled with joy and we would share that joy with the world. I pray that every person in the sound of my voice would hear themselves as redeemed, sent, loved by God. And I pray that they would share that joy with each and every person in their lives. It's in the name of Christ Jesus, your son, that we pray. And we praise you and give you thanks, God, for what you've done here today. Amen. Amen. Give God praise. Thank you guys for being here. May God bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face shine on you. May he lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thank you again for being with us today. To listen to our messages, follow us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And go to ne-cc.org for all news, events, and updates. Thank you and God bless.